This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. The Bad Christian Podcast is brought to you by NatureBox. This year, make a resolution you can stick to and start snacking smarter with NatureBox. Head over to NatureBox.com slash BadChristian today and receive 50% off your first box. You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. Let's do this. A three, a two, a one. It's the Bad Christian Podcast. Oh, yes. We back again. The Bad Christian Podcast. Podcast. We back again. We in the house, y'all. We in, we the, in the house. house. Diggity, 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 yo. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Woo. Welcome to the show. Back Smug. into the swing of things. Did y'all have, like, I had the real huge get? I don't know. Maybe y'all didn't listen to a lot of podcasts over the break, but everything was just dried up. There was no episodes. Yeah, everything. I went back I can't stand to episodes, and then uh, now there's a bunch of new ones, so uh, I'm kind of excited. Yeah, we didn't dry up. No, we didn't. No, we didn't. But the thing is, the downloads are always down in that time, so I think other people are smart to take the time off because our downloads were less, which I don't understand because I listen to just as many or more because I'm sitting there, you know, after Thanksgiving dinner, doing stuff, working on the house, right. on the well, and there's nothing to do. It seems like you listen to more podcasts there, but it, it's interesting because it brings up the idea. Like, I mean, really, you can't listen to stuff forever, and podcasting is getting so big that it's like you you can't keep up with them. Turn a typical week, I can't keep up with all the stuff that does come out, which I right. think is is. And I want to give everybody permission out there. Seriously, if you feel like you need to listen to all of our episodes, you don't. We're, no, we're not going anywhere. They do, huh? You don't. Forget I it. it. Should you can listen to one a week. You can look what back is every couple of weeks. Favorite entertainment to watch, like the one that gets you the most. Like, what do you think? Is it podcasting? Is it TV shows? Football? Is it? I mean, no matter what, I'm, I'm saying. So that's it. Like, as far as you said, favorite. No, what's the one that gets you the most and watches you the most? Like you would watch. <laughs> what's the, the difference most? in favorite and gets no, you the most? No, 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 no. I'm saying, I'm saying. For example, I love watching Green Bay Packers, but it only comes on what 16 times and right. in, in a year. And that's it. But I'm saying, like, for me, I really enjoy podcasting. I listen to it a ton, but I love watching Netflix at night when I lay in bed. That's the number one thing where I'm probably in the most like, ooh, I'm watching a movie, yep. I'm watching a TV show or something. And I do that on the reg. Yep. Do y'all do that? Netflix and uh, yeah, Joey you, doesn't. What do you do in bed? He doesn't do watch sleep? TV shows, he says. Uh, no, if I watch Netflix, it's going to uh, be a documentary or a movie. But typically, I will After read. the kids go to sleep, what do you do? The kids uh, go to bed at what, 7, 8? Read, watch a documentary, or have sex. What do you read? <laughs> uh, you only read nonfiction too, right? Right. So you're just reading Christian books? But every night? No, I mean, that's like I, I read a... What did, you do? what did you do last night at 8 p.m.? Last night at well, 8 p.m. Yeah, it was Monday night. Oh, uh, well, the kids stayed up a little bit extra, and then Priscilla and I actually had like a family meeting time, like talked about some discipline stuff that we need to do. And <laughs> yeah, She's not keeping up with her chores, huh? Yeah, she's, you're hard on her. Oh, no, we're talking about the kids. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Oh, oh wow. Stupid. Uh, what's interesting, too, is uh, my eyes are bad. And uh, anyway, I've been, I've heard about this new uh, app that you can do, and I think they're getting more in it. So your phone casts off a blue light. Right. And that blue light is associated with basically like what the sunlight does. So in your brain, mm-hmm. it thinks it's daylight. So it kind of messes with your sleep and your REM and sleep right. and all that stuff. So they actually have apps now that are changing the color of your phone to be a more orangish haze. Mm-hmm. So huh. it looks like the end, kind of towards the end of the day 
or evening. So it, your brain thinks, oh, it's nighttime and I can, I'm starting to rest. Yeah, it's very disruptive cool. to have what is seen as daylight uh, during your night. So for your sleep cycles and, and yeah. that kind of thing can be very disruptive. They even have it linked to cancer. They're like Even things like night lights and going to the bathroom with the light on is even linked to you know some health problems stuff like and phones just have made that and that yeah, was, that was right. already the case and now the phones are making that worse if you're in your bed at 11 at night 2 in the morning with that type of light that your brain associates with daylight it throws off i think you would call it circadian rhythms or something like that yeah that's it yeah. but I, i've heard that one too the one it's crazy if you turn on the light when you go to the bathroom at night it's not good for you like mm-hmm. it can actually cause some some problems that they found that is so, so I just, I just leave it the throws I, off your, your rhythm. Yeah. I, yeah, I piss just. I, just, I mean, I just, so what? It I takes a minute to wipe the floor every day. I mop yeah, in the morning. I want to brush my teeth and I mop the where I piss in the floor. I don't it, even get up out no of the bed deal. anymore. I just aim towards yeah. the wall. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's just one more chore. You brush your teeth. You mop the wall. It's what yeah, it's, exactly. What's the big deal? Or or you die. It's not worth so ruining your circadian rhythm. I mean, give me a break. I know. Oh, real bad. Getting a little a wet wipe and cleaning out the piss off the wall. Yeah, or so I have what? cancer. Which one do you? Which one do you choose, Joey? Cancer. Okay. Whatever. Uh, speaking of my old friend Joey, it's really funny. We came back into work. We had the week off, and Joey <laughs> was lounging on the couch at at the office. Also, the the church job. He was lounging. We have a couch. Oh, yeah, he's laying on it, and I was like, "Man, you just lounge." He's like, "Man, I, uh, honestly, my back's hurt. I had to really work the last week." <laughs> and I was like, "What?" He's like, "So basically." His father-in-law, who is an awesome, awesome craftsman, like, our, uh, I guess, carpenter and handyman kind of can do anything. Uh, they bought a house and they're fixing it up. So, Joey, for how many days? What? How many days did you do it? Just one? Oh, no. It was just, uh, it was the day of the Clemson game. So, just, so for one hours. day, a few hours, Joey had to help. What did you do? You pulled up some floors, some wood floor stuff? and No, basically what I did was I took a crowbar and I took a sled or like a hammer and banged the crowbar into right. the flooring yeah. and just had to rip up layers of, of carpet. Right. So, and it destroyed you. He showed well, my me lower back just his just, lower back's gone. Both his hands have like scar marks in the center of them <laughs> from like being ripped to stigmata. Yeah, like it seriously, like his body fell apart from doing work. A pastor had to do work for three four hours and it destroyed him <laughs> it destroyed your body destroyed my hands for sure it destroyed your back, back. Oh. i love doing demo that's my you, favorite you, you thing. were talking about how much sweat was pouring off of your body well, here's, the, <laughs> here's, the thing that, here's the thing that kills me is <laughs> work <laughs> no yeah when i do non-pastoring when i do that kind of stuff that hurts my uh lower back like it just I, I it hits me all of a sudden. I'm like, crap! I cannot do stuff for long periods of time. That gets, <laughs> like that sit up lower, during the podcast. Lower back. I mean, there's something wrong with my lower back. So. <laughs> it's called work. No, it's called and I have it, a bad lower back. No, no. What are you talking about? Everybody gets tired from <laughs> ripping stuff out of the the ground uh, or the the floor and stuff like that. I mean, that's that's not just unique. Like you're a bad bag and stuff. I mean, you just don't do that. You just don't do it that much. I mean, people, I mean, when you do work like that, it's exhausting. And it, it, it oh, so you it. know what it's like to have my back. 
I have some I've had your back. My back. I've had your back for a long time, my friend. You know that. <laughs> anyway, I thought that was really funny. Just Joey talked about the, the amount of sweat that was pouring off of him. His hands are destroyed. His back. He can't even sit. I, I want to know, is there an ideal position for lounging? Is it just, is the whole science and the, the, the art, I would say, it's not science, it's an art for Joey of lounging. Is it yeah, like, We have an expert here. No, I'm serious. Like, what is the goal? Is there is there not like a piece of furniture, like one of those weird sofas that's a, or a chase lounge or a zero gravity? Is there not just the perfect thing? Is the position you want to be in, or is the point of it to always uh, use a very weird position on whatever piece of furniture you're on? Like, that's what's the be, goal of of to the, me of when the I'm weird? Lounging like this, like right now, <laughs> right now, I'm stretching a calf muscle. I'm stretching a couple oh of thigh muscles, and then I'll do like this, and I'll be stretching this shoulder. Then I'll do like this. I'm stretching that shoulder. Basically, when I'm lounging, I'm stretching. Stre- <laughs> <laughs> okay, so stretching is, is, is like athletic is like an athletic thing, and lounging is like the opposite of that, though. Like stretching's like you're trying to get yourself in better shape to begin to do an athletic thing, and lounging very- is. Like trying I to have to be getting stuff done, and I know there's <laughs> parts of my mean? body that need to be stretched, so what I'm constantly it? stretching them. It, while, while Toby's looking at Netflix videos, I'm reading and enriching my mind. So I am trying to be more constructive. So right now, I am stretching. Stretching, you call it? Okay. Not, well, it seems we, like the, we've been the wrong the, the whole time. Yeah, it seems like the uh, the object of it is to misuse whatever piece of furniture you're on to use against its natural design. All I know is I'm out of the three of us, I'm way more comfortable than you guys. That's for sure. I don't even know what that means. You don't know what comfortable means? No, that you would be way more comfortable than me or Matt. I would say miserable is what how I would describe it. (laughs) You got awful, (laughs) pitiful. (laughs) Have you ever can you sit in a chair normally? Like, did you get in trouble ever in like school? We're like sitting in the chair weird. Hmm. Seems like your lounging might have gotten you in trouble. No, I told I told you about the Sorry, time you're stretching. I, I told you stretching. about the first time I did a job interview with a real teaching job. The principal at the end of the year, she said, "I'm so glad I hired you, but I came close to not hiring you because you were lounging in the interview." Oh my gosh! But she, I mean, if you if that's true, imagine the opportunities you may have had if it weren't for the stretching of yours. You'd be lead pastor of some giant mega church by now. Think of all the opportunities that have passed you up. She called it slouching. She said, you were Slou- slouching in your interview. And I, it, it took me back. I was like, I'm really sorry. Like I said, because that, that shows disrespect. And I said, I did not. That's the way I feel now. Disrespect. Yeah, I just feel disrespected. <laughs> I don't care about hurt. you guys. You I, that's obvious. It's, it is shocking, though. Like, in your mind, you actually think you, you are doing something right now. Not, <laughs> like, you're not getting you, in your mind, you actually believe you are working. Productivity. Oh, no. Muscular productivity, he I calls was, it. I was <laughs> and it shows. <laughs> I think initially what initially when I move into a different position, it's a it's for the purpose of stretching, but then I just relax in that situation. Oh, okay. I'm just comfortable. Oh, I love well, it. Yeah, I'm making fun now, but I mean that actually I didn't ever think of it in this way. But if you really believe that in your head, then I would say that it kind of lends to maybe part of your OCD of thinking you need to be doing something like checking an email or you know, it actually probably borders into that territory. Because of course what you're actually saying is absurd in reality. That's absurd. That you're actually productively stretching or doing something useful. Oh, like I—that's I not I true. Was, but I said I was joking. That okay, was a joke. But I'm saying you, you do think of it as you're trying to accomplish something while you're doing other things, which does lend somewhat into your OCD. Is what I'm suggesting. Make sure, right? I don't see why not. 
So I mean less to make fun of it now that I've made that connection is what, I, what I'm saying. That's not a punchline. You have a mental illness. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, oh, that actually kind of makes sense now that we've explored it a little bit that it may be a part of your OCD thing that you are obsessing about your muscles and the stretching and the, your position of your body, stuff like that, right? Um, that would help me forgive you at least. All right. I guess. <laughs> all right. Back to joking then. That, I was being serious there, but back to joking. Think of all the opportunities that you must have not gotten for your, from your slouching. I know. Think about how what many hot they girls be? you didn't get to yeah. go on dates with. Right. <laughs> the the girls, jobs the that you did not get. The girls think it's hot for sure. I don't know that. Why do you think that? They just do, man. <laughs> <laughs> it did you like just slide right out of your mom and just in chill mode? <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, I, I nobody sent me this. I saw this the other day and I thought this is really interesting. Matt, you and I have talked about old George Zimmerman before. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, just interesting character. And a lot of people probably hate the guy and think he's terrible. Um, he shot Trayvon Martin and um, really bad situation that happened. He got off. Uh, it was like a self-defense kind of thing or a uh, right to shoot rule, I think. Self-defense, stand your ground law. Stand your ground law, whatever it was. And so uh, so even since then, he's done some some really strange things. Like he's done some painting stuff that was really awkward I think he's gotten in trouble a couple more times with the law. Well, this latest one, um, this comes from the uh, dailycos.com. Uh, George Zimmerman suspended from Twitter after posting nude pics of ex-girlfriend out of revenge. And this isn't my new segment, by the way, Joel. You, can't, you can chime in all you want here, buddy. You're fully free. i just bringing this up because it's a, a, an experiment on the, the psychology of people after something extremely traumatic happens. What but website are you on? Dailycos.com. You're worried about that? Just sounds very news segment-ish to me. (laughs) (laughs) A seemingly angry George Zimmerman Zimmerman took to Twitter today to send out nude photos and the phone number of a woman he claims is now his ex-girlfriend. And this is what he said. She cheated on me with a dirty Muslim. Wow. This is what he tweeted. uh, And then he tweeted one with her naked, topless, I guess. Another one with her topless said, did I go too far? I won't even mention that she stole a gun and cash from me. Uh, and then he gave her phone number out. He gave her phone number out, her name, and sent nude pictures of her. And so this, uh, Twitter suspended him. But anyway, the, the real story here is... That's really weird. I know. Isn't that crazy? Like, he well, just... Especially I mean, he had to, given out the, the thing that, that weirds me out on that uh, is a side note to that. But the key was, uh, it was a big deal when he was in trouble the first time because Spike Lee gave out what he thought was George Zimmerman's address. And that was a big fiasco. Right. But it wasn't even the correct address. But that has, you know, happened to him in the past even. So he's kind of recreated that situation, you know. Yeah. And that, it, that's weird that that was part of his original narrative is somebody giving out his address and he's doing, doing that here. Well, here's what I, I, well, I thought was interesting or what I think is interesting about this. Is that okay? You had this guy, and for whatever reason, he w- was in a situation with a loaded gun and killed a teen, and mm-hmm. that is terrible. That is awful. And I would even say at that moment, I, I bet he wishes he could take it back, and he wish he didn't kill that that kid. I assume maybe he did. Maybe maybe he thought he was doing the right thing and standing his ground and everything. But here's the thing: I don't know necessarily if he was a terrible guy to begin with. I don't even think so because you never heard of about him before and I don't think there was any arrest warrants or anything previous to this he actually was uh you know uh, legally carrying a weapon and all this stuff so after something traumatic like that happens I don't 
know if you can come back from it. Like, I, I think from there, it's only going to spiral. And the worst part about mm. it is, like, that guy, I believe, seriously has some mental problems. But everybody thinks he's just a dickhead, idiot, loser that killed somebody and a bad guy. Well, you like, would wonder if that's causation, though. Like, you, would you have to be a weirdo, crazy person to do what he did in the first place? And then how much worse is it made with that? I mean, he's a, you know, who knows? Like, he could have been a psychopath going in. Yeah, too. no, 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 you're right. We don't know. But I, I do think you're right. Like, if you kill somebody, even if it was self-defense and you wish you didn't do it, and you were justified in doing it. Right. Still, how would you get over that? Like, it would affect you in a way that I think is pretty, pretty nutty. Well, it's just such a huge thing that no matter what now, no matter what he he actually is, if he's a a decent guy or not, he will always be labeled a bad guy and he's, terrible. I think it's and probably safe to say he's not a bad guy, <laughs> not a decent guy. No, no, no. no and I mean, no. just on the well, girlfriend no, thing alone. No, no. That, I know, just but, that alone lets you know he's not a decent is, guy. But but you're saying that in a sense of, yeah, because he did something bad. But but isn't that maybe just a, uh, an example of his mental disorder? Like, he, he feels sure. hurt, angered, sure. and terribly cheated. This woman cheated on him. Like, I mean, think about a woman cheating on you and stealing stuff from you, and you overreact one time. Well, his is multiplied by 10 right. billion. Like, he did something really stupid. And if he'd have done this, like, if if he wouldn't have, if if he wasn't famous, nobody would ever even say, this wouldn't have been a story. Right, a guy does a tweets about his girlfriend. That's true. Nobody would have even cared, but because of this, then everybody goes, "Yep, see, told you, he's just terrible. He's just terrible." And you're right; it's just feeding into that. And my and my thing is, I know people that have had traumatic experiences in their life. You know, family member dies, or they accidentally. Uh, like there's people that like accidentally were around or killed a sibling or something like that. Mm -hmm. And they just, you can't recover. You can't and so it, right? the, the real you is only, is swallowed up by, uh, yeah, it's a bad guy. And so there is like, my, my big thing here is, I don't think there's any way for George Zimmerman, Zimmerman to ever get back. Sure. Like there isn't, it, like we talk about redemption. We say the same about OJ. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, it's, it's almost well. There's two things going here. So one, there's the trauma thing. So that's, of course, everybody would it, it, understand and admit that something traumatic will affect you in a lot of ways. Right. Now, on the other hand, OJ and George Zimmerman got away with something, and right. so what does that right. does that guilt that element of guilt on top of that of getting away with it and not even being punished or whatever? How much more does that add to it? Because it appears that even getting away with murder is is not even okay. Like right. you'd almost better off to take your punishment. Well, and, that's what I was going to say too. I, part of it is they feel you. some guilt from that. Like, right. There's no way George Zimmerman or right. OJ doesn't feel some guilt. For well, what that's they why did. OJ. People would say that's why OJ went crazy again and did something to get himself, even if it was sub right. subconsciously. Right, did something villainous that did get him put in jail anyway. Like you just could, you just couldn't handle it like a normal person. Even getting away with murder isn't something you could handle. Right, so the fact that they continue to do bad stuff in public view or whatever, like OJ's a great example too of stealing back his memorab memorabilia. Mm -hmm. Like he didn't handle it the lawful way. Right. Like, like this guy, George Zimmerman got cheated on and stuff stolen. Uh, OJ was, some of his memorabilia was stolen and he went back to get it and all this stuff. Like they were doing something to them and they didn't care how they did it because they were, they kind of, I think, somewhat wanted to get in trouble, which lends itself to me to think, Maybe they're not as bad as we we're all saying. Like they're actually just hmm. trying to punish themselves or hurt themselves or get in trouble so that they can. Well, you see that get in, some of the weight off yeah, of it. But, I but think so. Also, leading in, I want you to answer this too. 
What does that mean for somebody like Bill Cosby, though? Like, that doesn't have remorse. It doesn't, you know, know what know. I mean? Like, he's not trying to True. repent or get in trouble or do anything in public. Like, he's just flat denial. Uh, and, you know, I mean, it's saying all this early, stuff. early, though, wouldn't you say? I'm no, because it's not early because he's been getting away with it for so long anyway. Yeah. It's just now that it's known about. So Yeah, I don't, I don't think he's done. I mean, there's no, there's not been anything in Cosby's. If this uh, alleged stuff ends up being true, that uh, there's nothing in him that has allowed it to be like, oh man, I'm in bad shape, I'm doing mm-hmm. bad or getting worse. Like to me, I think OJ got away with potentially murder, and uh, if, if, if even if he didn't do it, but um, it destroyed him. No matter what, there is no going back. But like then you have somebody like Cosby that like it doesn't matter. Like there's a different it. mentality of like bad guy there. Well, George the Trump, uh, the it's interesting there because. You know, on on one hand, it's like you don't uh, let's see how to say this. You you see people a lot where they will want you, you get that thing where it's like, oh, he was cheating on her and he wanted to get caught. I was almost right. relieved that she found. You know, people act in behaviors at some point where they they were hoping they would get caught or stopped or busted yeah. because they know that their behavior may be out of control. And there's some people that can just live with it. But let me float this by you. I was thinking about this a little bit after our last episode, anyway. Um, the most traumatic thing that could happen to you would be what? At this point in your life, let's just say Toby. What can? Yeah. I I know what the right answer is. You'll probably get it right. But what would be about the most traumatic thing that could occur in your life at this time? Kid dies. Kid die. Right. Okay. And you would never recover from that, and you'd be mentally ill. Yeah. Right. That's basically, yeah. or or it would have ramifications that could destroy your marriage. Well, I mean, right. there's, it would be almost intolerable, and you'd never be the same, and you might be not even able to cope essentially yeah. or it's hard to imagine it, if that that's the most traumatic thing and that'd be a kid of really any age i would i would say sure if that's true then how about i float this to you you hear people talk about all the time the infant mortality rate in other times was so high so it would have been common in many times in human history that everybody almost everybody you knew had lost children right so what do you think that does i mean what about that alone to effect on a society could you say that a couple of hundred years ago the whole society every single person was a trauma survivor and mentally ill like huh. right that'd be everybody well the alternative would be because if you know one person a- that lost their husband or kids that person's going to be oh my gosh well if you go back far enough that's everybody are you saying the alternative is that it was so commonplace that it just didn't bother you as much? I don't see that do you think that's true though do you oh, think yeah, that's, do. do you I, think if you were more used to kids dying you could accept your one of your kids, I, I, name, I, name one of your kids right now and, exp- and them die and it affects you less just because mine and Toby's kids died too? My great-grandfather came from like 12, uh, like right. a family of 12 siblings. And I remember he used to tell me, he's just like, yeah, 12 brothers and sisters, uh, but that's not including the two that died. It's right. just like extra. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying it was less painful. If a kid dies, that, that definitely is painful. But I do think... Maybe less this is traumatic. Not, and the other thing too is we actually live in an age now where it actually means if you if like it, uh-huh. with all the technology and everything we have now, if my kid dies, that is really crazy. So you think that's actually subjective? The weight of your kid, what your kid dying would do to you? That's your two choices are to say yeah, in the past the old- everybody was dealing with a lot of trauma and had and was all a whole culture of altered people, which is what I'm the theory I'm floating potentially to consider what that means. And then second, or you're saying that, oh, it's subjective whether or not it matters to me if one of my kids died and how much. You're not saying it's like empirical how bad that is. Like it could not be that bad in some places. Yes, for sure. 
Just like in the old West, killing people was different than killing yeah. people now. Martial law or whatever might happen, I think is I think it's subjective. I like to think of in the 1600s, you have a full culture of people that are all mentally affected, ill trauma survivors. The whole culture, <laughs> and maybe that explains some yeah. crazy stuff about history, though. Yeah, you might be right. Like, you know what like I mean? Everybody has PTSD, and then therefore, so, yeah. That, yeah, every every single person would have been living with some something of what right. we today would call PTSD, and then of course all the. the the outcomes and slaveries and trail of tears right. and all wars and violence and all the other stuff we had. Yeah. But this, cause everybody's a PTSD trauma survivor in all of human history by today's right. standards. So you're saying, okay, now that makes sense. You okay. know, it's just an interesting way to look at it. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, that's a good idea. Instead of it being subjective, not a, a child, uh, like my thought was if you're living in Oklahoma and it's, you know, whatever, early late 1800s or whatever, mm-hmm. and, uh, you, you have 12 kids and a couple of them die. You go, man, that was terrible. It was awful, but we got to move on because we got to live and stay alive. Right. But you're saying it, it's just as traumatic, but they just dealt with it and it wasn't diagnosed or anything like that. And so and they, the effects they, are they probably some of the historical in crazy bad ways and to that get was, it out. And, then and that was normal. Home. Yeah, and it was just normal. Like, because oh, yeah. everybody had PTSD uh, to right. some degree, for instance. I mean, I don't right. know. It's just a way to look at history. Right. I haven't heard that. I just thought thought about it, but. That is an interesting point. You, they just dealt with it with crazy. Like back then, oh yeah, man, they went, yeah, man, that guy's wild. Except for every single person had lost a child and was mentally unstable right. by today's standards. Like, yeah. you, like they didn't, well, here, like, for example, every, you're in the Black Plague or something and everybody's dying. And so it just becomes normal, even though, but it's not. Like that it stern, is normal and you just keep yes. going to work and you keep trying to live your life. But you are completely mm-hmm. a little bit loony because of all the people that are dying. Or, it's, or the same, it's the same thing as war. I mean, I, I don't know if right. y'all have watched exactly. that uh, yeah. eight-hour deal called War. I forgot the the guy that did it, but it's Ken like, Burns World War II yeah, one. Yeah, yeah the yeah. war. Yeah, one of the veterans told a story of how he was trying to get sleep, and uh, there was like a big attack on a bunch of people's pitch black dark, and then after the attack stopped, uh, he was just like, well gonna go the hell back to sleep i'm tired but there was a guy in the distance that was yelling and screaming in agony and pain and he 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 said i recall clearly me saying i wish the dude would just go ahead and die already he said that's how messed up he was in the head then they woke up in the morning it was his best friend oh my and he started crying when he was saying that and it was just like who who thinks that oh i wish they would just die already well it's just because they were so desensitized they had seen the worst stuff imaginable people dying was all around them, you know? This is a bummer. I guess we'll yeah. bring on our guest, Andrew Schwab. <laughs> <laughs> when you got to go, you got to go. The time is up. Well, Sorry, take guys. I, I, this is a little bit heavier than I thought it would be. We were having a good time, and then, yeah. Yeah. well, damn. Sorry. All right. Well, well, let's take a break here, and we'll give some love to a sponsor. We have a sponsor that is back that hadn't been here for a while. They changed their ad strategy and stopped doing podcasts for a while, and then they came back and said, you know what? Podcasts are good, and you know what is a kick-ass podcast? The Bad Christian Podcast. I love it. So uh, that's Nature Box. So I'm very glad to have them back as a sponsor. It says good stuff about our podcast, our listeners, and us. And I love the snacks, of course. Snacking, obviously, is a big part of, uh, actually, is a big part of life, really. And I think, especially on the kinds of diets that, that I like to do, and what I think is really healthy is to eat, obviously, smaller things, portions in the day instead of the classical giant heavy meals and snacking is a big part of that but it's really really hard to find good snacks especially if you want them to be healthy right and 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 good and so nature box is a great way to do that they uh they have over a hundred seriously delicious options like 
sriracha roasted cashews, Big Island pineapple, uh, dark cocoa nom noms, and they're all made with zero artificial nonsense. That's what's cool. That's that's the thing about it. they have stuff that's sweet, spicy, vegan. They've got non-GMO stuff. And, uh, you know, the best part of it is you don't have to go through the aisles and look at the ingredients on the back and figure out this and that or whatever. It's all delivered right to your door, easy and convenient. Well, that's what's really awesome for me. I'm trying to get healthy and I'm doing low carb, so I I can't, I'm I'm not doing any sugars, basically. Mm -hmm. But they have such an awesome, uh, just like you said, the spicy sriracha cast. Those are really good. What what, what an awesome thing for me. There's tons of stuff. I mean, seriously, they have over a hundred a hundred different snacks. Yeah. So none of them are really sweet stuff with sugar, but sriracha roasted cashews is a great example of something that's not that way. So it's yeah, for, for it's sure. for whatever way you like to snack and, and put your yep. diet and your meals and snacks together. We love Nature Box. You should too. No matter your New Year goals, you can snack confidently with Nature Box. Visit naturebox.com forward slash bad Christian to get 50% off your first box now. So listen to me speak to you people. <laughs> Head to naturebox.com forward slash bad Christian right now and set up for success in 2016. Get healthy. I am. Joey, will you be healthy in 2016? With Probably na- not. With Naturebox, yes. yeah. Well, Naturebox is your only hope. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not joking. On, <clears throat> so one last time, that's naturebox.com forward slash bad Christian for 50% off your first box of delicious high quality snacks sent directly to your doorstep. Hey, what's up? What's up, man? How you doing? All right, so these guys know, but where do you live? I don't know. Well, I was going to ask you guys the same question. Are you back in South Carolina? I'm just here visiting. I'm in Seattle still. Yeah, I just hear visiting, okay. so we get as much done as we can when we're all together. Yeah, we're in, uh, Joey and I are in Charleston, South Carolina. That's where we live. We work at a church here. So I'm in Denver, by the way. Yeah, I'm how'd you get, uh, uh, well, answer, that, the answer why you're in Denver now, uh, because I, if I'm not mistaken, you're originally born and raised in California, right? No, I lived in Southern California for a long time, 25 years. Okay. I went to school there and uh, moved there when I was young. Uh, I was born on the East Coast in Pennsylvania uh, and moved out to the West Coast when I was in high school. So many Pennsylvania uh, people do music, end up doing music, yeah, moving and didn't, being in bands that are famous. Yeah. Like, and that's crazy. I, I was, I'm originally from a little bit north of Pittsburgh. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, we were just in Pittsburgh. But I remember the first, we were talking about the first time we ever saw Project 86. And I don't know if we talked to you about this story. You might remember it or not, but it was, we... So, so you've been doing music forever. I wanted to ask that question too, but we were at Carowinds. We were in college and Carowinds yeah. theme park in Charlotte, uh, a little south of Charlotte, North Carolina. And we were actually working for Carowinds <laughs> as, oh, like, really? as stage hands. Yeah, we were stage hands. Yeah, we were stage hands. We'd set up, we set up the stage and all this stuff. And then we heard, I, and it was like a, it, it was Some like festival. a Christian day or something, a festi- yeah. Christian festival day or whatever. And there was like, you know, several people maybe we'd even heard of. We hadn't, we hadn't heard of Project 86, but we were like, Holy crap! This is Christian. Like these people, these guys are Christian. It's a Christian festival. We'd never even really heard stuff like that, and so uh, it was really funny for us because this is the first time we'd ever been experienced to it. Didn't he, honestly, Matt and I didn't even really know that much about Tooth and Nail or anything. Nothing, no. And uh, I just remember it was super hot, and in yeah. between like two or three songs, you can you I just remember say. That. It's getting a little warm up here. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys are just sweating like crazy. I was like, oh my gosh. But 
Uh, I mean, I guess even like Randy was in the band. Yeah, like yeah, it was crazy so, guitar tricks. And it was all so intense stuff. because it was a Christian festival that we were just working at and thinking it was just Rebecca St. James is going right. to be singing and whatever. Right. And they put us out. They said, go to this little stage, move these speakers out there. We're going to do this. And I said, okay. And then we're standing there and we just had just gotten into music and started playing music and stuff at that time. We weren't even good or anything. And, uh, and it was like, whoa, these super intense guys wearing black, playing heavy stuff in the middle of the daytime at this Christian festival. Mm-hmm, I just yeah. not really ever even have, haven't even experienced it. And we're old. So what does right. that make you? <laughs> yeah, very old. So, so when did you get into doing music? Because, I mean, seriously, we were in college and you were doing it, uh, you know, full time, it looked like. Yeah, uh, I started when I was in college, too. That was when when projects started, anyways. Yeah. Uh, like my interest in music was sort of, um, just on the hobby level. Prior to that, I mean, I grew up as a music fan, and um, I made my first demo tape when I was like six years old. My uh, stepdad played in a bunch of bands and had a bunch of recording gear, and had me just like karaoke to a bunch of like Led Zeppelin songs and stuff. Yeah, but. Now, Project started in 96. I had been trying to put together a band for a couple... How old were you in 96? Project 80? That's crazy. How old was I in 96? Let me think. I, I must have been 20. Wow. So, it, it had been in the works for a couple of years. Uh, I got into the SoCal hardcore scene, and that was what sort of gave me the, I don't know, the drive and the and the the network, I guess, of being around musicians mm-hmm. to start something. What but was the hardcore scene in 96 in SoCal? Was what bands? It was like Unashamed, Focused. Yeah. It was just not too long after The Crucified. Um, oh, Mark Solomon. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah. I started going to shows in like 93 and getting to know people. I mean, there were a lot of other bands, but it was a, it was a pretty cool time because Tooth & Nail was just beginning and I wasn't necessarily into the tooth and nail scene per se. I was into like the SoCal hardcore scene. Yeah. Right. So every weekend there was a show with a lot of the same bands and That's I would cool. always go. And I just made a lot of friends at those shows through that and through my church. There was kind of a scene at my church too of guys that would go to those, those shows. And then my church started hosting shows. We had like MXPX in. It was like the first time they were in SoCal. It was at our church. And then uh, the guys in the Supertones went to my church. And then some of the guys in Unashamed went there, and there were a bunch of other bands that came out of this church as well. So it was sort of a perfect storm as to how the whole thing got started for me. That's so you just cool. met dudes, and then because obviously it seemed like you had met people that were on Tooth and Nail, was that y'all's first choice? Uh, well, it was kind of natural because we had so many friends that were in other bands that were already on the label, yeah. and we started doing shows with those bands. Um, one of our first shows, I think, was with Stavesacre. I think our second show was with Five Iron Frenzy. Mm-hmm. I think. I mean, they weren't on Tooth and Nail, but it was. Right. They were like the only band that was like a part of that whole thing that wasn't, you know, back then. Yeah. And obviously, that Supertones kind of connection, and you know, we we met the guys in POD back then too. But I mean, back then it was like cool if you were just in a band, and for us, it was so early on. Um, in the whole like Christians doing heavier music thing, yeah, definitely. It, yeah. That it was like you know it stood out. So I think that you know being one of the first ones that kind of was doing some of that stuff kind of helped. You know, well, people always want to know and stuff when you change labels and stuff like that. What what the story is? But for you guys, I think it's almost kind of easy. You did tooth and nail, and that was going 
good and it seemed like a good fit and everything. And then you were actually able to go to really, it was just, this, I mean, I don't know, you could fill me in, but it seemed like you just rose and rose and grew and grew to where you were able to take the next step and go to a big label and do all that. That's something that bands and we and everybody always dreams of doing is going from an indie and then getting in with the majors and, and doing all that. Uh, how did that, how did that come about during that time for you guys? Yeah, it's funny. I was thinking about that yesterday, just that whole time, because uh, I'm doing these parchments. When I was a kid, I got into doing like the, you know, calligraphy, kind of gothic looking writing. And I got pretty good at it. And then uh, I hadn't done it in years. I had an idea to start um, writing out lyrics as a part of our last Indiegogo campaign to people on like a nice parchment paper and do it, spend a lot of time on it and make it look like a piece of art that people can frame on their walls. Anyways, after the Indiegogo campaign, I just opened it up and just started doing that as a regular deal. And I have like a lot of orders I'm doing right now. So that's kind of my taking up a lot of my time right now, which is great. But I was writing out a song that someone chose from Truthless Heroes uh-huh. that I hadn't listened to in forever. Yep. So I was like, what are the lyrics to that song? <laughs> so I put, put it on, I listened to it, and it just brought back all these memories. So it's funny that you asked that because I was just thinking about all this. You know, it's funny uh, as well that you would say that it seemed like on the outside that that was such a smooth transition, but that trans- transition was really, really challenging and well, difficult. Well, do tell. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, well, we signed a tooth and nail and we signed a six record deal. Whoa. Yeah, and hey, don't hey, anybody out there listening, don't do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the landscape has changed so much now that record deals aren't even the same. Sure, sure. You know, uh, so we're talking about ancient history now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but we signed a, a mini record deal, and it was definitely not in favor of the artist in terms of the financials. Yeah, and so the band had gotten big enough, and we had had enough buzz that you know we were developing this team. So you get you get a pretty hot shot attorney. You know, hotshot manager, hotshot business manager. And uh, our second record, Drawing Black Lines, was exciting enough to people when we showed it to them that Atlantic just licensed it. So we were basically on two labels for our second release. And then that had sold enough to where our team was being very aggressive about trying to get us bought out of our deal with Tooth & Nail. Yeah. So that was really hard because uh, that took about 18 months and we weren't touring a ton during that time. Everything was sort of up in the air. It was really stressful. Um, on the other side, you know, going into our third record, Atlantic was putting a ton of pressure on us to do radio singles. To change the way you write and stuff like that. Yeah. And yep. so the sound of our third record was a lot different than the sound of our second record. And, uh, you know, just in looking back on that, um, you know, you guys know the song Spy Hunter? Yeah. You know that song? That's one of our most popular songs over the years. Um, and we actually wrote that right after Drawing Black Lines came out. And for some reason, we didn't put it on our third record. And if we would have put that as the first song on our third record, it would have been a totally kind of different vibe to that record. But it was a very melodic record. But we had written some heavy stuff that could have easily fit on the record as well. I don't know. I was thinking about all this. But, you know, being on a major, it, it's at least back then, it was such a a mixed bag because on one hand you had these unlimited budgets. So we would go out to these $300 dinners with our A&R guy yeah. like every week. Wow. <laughs> and spend tons of money on us buying CDs and books and records and all stuff under the idea of like inspiration. And then it just goes on our budget, right? So they were able to, I mean, I'm sure that must've got crazy because they were able to, first of all, pay 
Brandon tooth and nail enough money to let you do that. So that had to be negotiated over the 18 months. So they were able to, th- that goes on your bill as well, the buyout yes, part. <laughs> eventually they paid a pretty large chunk of money to tooth and nail and we got bought out and then tooth and nail licensed us back. So we were officially on Atlantic, but tooth and nail was still putting out the record in the Christian market uh-huh. um, for our third release. Yeah. So, but yeah, we ran up a pretty hefty bill. I think. Yeah. It was over a million dollars. I'm sure. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Because I mean, I've heard of a lot of budgets for just recordings in that era. It could be three and four hundred grand for that. Not to mention contract buyout, advance, and all that. So they moved us yeah. up into this apartment that we lived in for like two months in LA. You know, and uh, the studio expenses were pretty high. I mean, they were paying the mixer and the engineer and oh, astronomical yeah. of money, and we had unlimited like food budgets and you know, fun budgets and things like that. and That's crazy. All that stuff was great. Yeah, that part was awesome. That's what I'm saying. I mean, there's obviously the downside to that that we're alluding to and everything. But on the other hand, I mean, I would still would, I probably would do that now. Yeah. Who, who would not you do know, that? I would just right. do it. Who I would wouldn't matter. Do that? Totally. I think the story with our band was kind of interesting because we were sort of coming in the wake of bands like Switchfoot and P.O.D. who had exploded. Right. And so we were kind of being groomed as that next multi-platinum band. But here, here's more important than that. Did you believe that? I mean, you fully thought multi-platinum headed my way. That's a complicated question, and I'll, I'll answer it by, with a quick story. Okay. We're sitting in the president of Atlantic Records office in New York overlooking Central Park. He has this crazy, amazing, cool office. It's like, I'm, I mean, not this crazy, but you think of like, the Devil's Advocate. Remember that movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When uh, Keanu Reeves goes into Al Pacino's office for the first time, that sort of feeling when you walk in, it's just like, oh my gosh, we're in the Devil's office. <laughs> and so it's just huge windows looking out over Central Park. We sit on his couch. He puts on one of our songs, cranks it up, and he has this great sound system. We listen to the whole song, pushes stop, sits down at his desk, crosses his hand like this, looks at us, pauses for a minute. <laughs> And says, are you guys ready to sell a million records? <laughs> and we all just jumped up and started cheering. I think in that moment, we all believed it. Yeah, yeah, I sure. think so too. Plus, you'd had some, so much success already. Like Each record was getting better and better. And, everybody's entry, and we had put in all this time and work. And it's right. like, this has got to pay off, man. You know, we've got the right team. We've got the right manager. We've got the right attorney. We've got the right label. The right blah, blah, blah. The blah, psychology blah. is so powerful because why would a guy like that waste his time if he right. didn't believe it? Like, right. you know, that he was... Well, it, when you get into the upper echelons of any industry, right, or you start um, flirting with that a little bit, which I would say we were flirting with it at that point. You know, we weren't platinum artists, but we were, we were starting to get in that sort of world. Yeah. Um, the amount of money changing hands, the amount of politics going on is something that, you know, just the average individual doesn't really experience. Um, and so there were so many things happening behind the scenes with radio and singles. And you got to understand, like, even, even on any label, you're always competing for the assets and attention of yeah. the label. Yeah. And so, you know, we went from competing with Oh gosh, who was on the label at that time with us? Um, I'm talking tooth and nail. What what were the bands that were kind of I mean, popping at the, tooth and nail during that time? Yeah, you know, this is who like, was that? That was like the two thousand five zero or something. Two thousand two thousand one. Yeah. Okay, so May. a handful of bands that were on tooth and nail at that time, and then all of a sudden we're in this world. We're competing with uh, Stone Temple Pilots. We're competing right. with 
you know, bands like the Donnas were competing with uh, Bad Religion. We're, these are all the bands that were just under like A&R umbrella that we were under. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so you imagine all of these bands are fighting for spots on the radio. These, And then there's all these other bands in the same genre as us that were like coming up as well. That were like new artists, bands like, um, I remember that band Taproot. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. Yep. So they were coming up. At any rate, um, you get the picture. Yeah, sure. And, that, and the landscape changes every day. So I remember our record came out in September. We sold some records. We got on some good tours. I remember we went out with, you know, Seven Dust. And, and uh, nice. we did some radio shows of 30 Seconds to Mars when they were just coming up. And, you know, it was looking good. And then the holidays hit and everybody goes home for a month. And it was just as right as we're about the, po- the point where we were going to drop the next single, which was the single that, he played in 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 uh, in his office, the president, yeah. and uh, it just kind of killed our momentum. And I remember coming back from the holidays saying, "Yeah, we're going to wait on this single. We're going to go with this band's single in this radio spot." It, it's just it's just constantly changing. Right. So, and it's like just that little thing. I nice. think really had an impact on our momentum. And then we did some more big tours and stuff. But another six, eight, nine months went by, and we didn't sell. You know, but I, I think that record did like eighty thousand. And that's nothing. Which is a tremendous amount today. But in that day, it wasn't as much, especially for the amount of money that was put. Right. Like if they put a million dollars into 80,000 records, that's not. Yeah, you know. exactly. And so there, you know, it kind of quickly came to the point where it was like, okay, we're moving on. Yeah. And that was it. And so then we were label and put out some stuff on our own and ended up back on Tooth and Nail. Brandon re-signed us. We put out a few more records with them. And then that deal ended and we put out a couple records on our own and you know it's been a fun ride so so that's all cool but you skipped the whole part about you being personally devastated about that but i don't know if that's the case or not but i could only imagine how that would feel time heals all wounds yeah right so the further you get from something that's disappointing and this gets into like the spiritual dynamic right um the further you get from something that's disappointing the more perspective you get and the more you see how a divine hand was sort of orchestrating yeah. all of these events. Even though things didn't go the way you wanted them to, they probably went the way they were supposed to and the way that was best for you and your character. You know, um, I think at that point in time in my career, I don't know what that would have done to me as a human being, you know, if, if we had found that amount of success. I know what it did to some of my peers that found that, and it wasn't pretty. I know some of my other friends that found that made it through it okay. But I've rarely seen people who have achieved like household name status, pop radio status in their lives and ha- had that not affect their souls in some sort of major yeah. dif- difficult way. So am know? I hearing it correctly that you guys sold that many because the label lost interest? Is that, I mean, is, are those correlated? Like they're just like, yeah, we're not going to put Well, I mean, 80,000 is out. a lot, but they spent a lot of money to get this. So the return on investment is it, they've deemed to be poor, at which time they don't want to spend further hundreds of thousands on it. Okay. Yeah. So in order to break an artist, at least at that time, and they're dumping millions into it because radio, the, the formula was you would go to rock radio and that, that was a couple hundred thousand dollars, you know, you to work a single. And then hopefully if that song did well enough, they would take you to alternative radio if you had the right song. And that's like half a million dollars or right. more, you know, and I'm just throwing out numbers. I mean, these aren't gospel numbers because every budget's different, but, or was different at that time. But the plan was we do a rock single chart at, at rock radio, rock and active rock, you know, get on some bigger tours, create that groundswell, keep selling units, you know, per week. Yep. 
you know, a good number for what they were spending on us. And I think what they were looking for per week was somewhere around 7,500 to 10,000 a week consistently, you know, and I think we, you know, three months into the record process, we were selling like a thousand a week, you know, so they're looking at those numbers and it's trending down and then the holidays hit and we're just about ready to go with all our alternative single and they come back and they pull the numbers and they're like, I don't know if we want to spend gotcha. X amount of money on this band's second single when we don't know for sure it's going to turn into a gold record or a platinum right. record. Mm-hmm. So Tom, you said Tom heals all wounds, and yeah. but it doesn't heal all bands. So when mo- most bands fall apart at that point, though. So this is, yeah. this is all still 10 years ago, isn't it, that we're talking about now? We're talking about... It's about 2002, 2003. Yeah, so it's over wow. 10 years ago. And most mm-hmm. bands do fall apart and break up at that point is what I'm they saying. Were in. So, so somehow you're, band, you're still a band. And so how has that been possible? Project 86 still exists, you know, and we've sort of in various forms weathered the storms of the music industry. And I think the biggest lesson that I learned personally, just as being the guy who kind of ran the band, started the band, the founder the guy who keeps the band together and going is you can't put the responsibility of the, the day to day, the business stuff in the hands of other people outside. Uh-huh. You have to learn about record contracts. You have to learn about everything that encompasses booking a tour from, you know, crew to the actual booking side to touring production management, all the ins and outs that make your business go you have to be personally in touch with. And I think the reason why Project 86 was able to exist for all this time after all that is that we adapted and I adapted our business model. We scaled back on the number of people we're employing. I took on the management duties myself, did a lot of the booking myself at a time when bands on our same level were still hiring other people to do it. So instead of paying out that 35, 30%, whatever that number is to all these other people, um, very, you know, early on after leaving that major label system within a couple of years, we were, you know, able to sort of make a living doing what we do. And through our, and this is the biggest thing, through our buyout situation with Atlantic, uh, Atlantic paid tooth and nail, not just to buy the rights to put out a record, but they bought our entire contract. And in the major label system at that time, all the bands owned all of their publishing. Yeah, right. So we own all of the publishing on all of our releases. That's great. Wow. And we got all that back as a result of the Atlantic buyout. So that was the silver lining, honestly, that kept the band able to move forward. Because Absolutely, you invest yeah. all this time. In a, I mean, you guys know this as well as I do. You invest all this time. People don't know how much time is required to do a band on a professional level. You know, it's not just about going out and playing a show. It is a full-time job, even when you're at home, because you have so much, so many angles to, to keep the momentum moving forward. And, and uh, especially today with social media and engaging your audience and all that stuff. Yeah. By the way, I've never wanted to be the old guy that's walking around telling the stories of the heyday. So let it be known you asked. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> well this is super interesting. I mean, it really is super interesting. I don't bring this stuff up to people unless they ask. What's funny is I remember the time where, I mean, like when, we, when you were saying, hey, you guys thought you would be huge. I mean, I remember going, wait, we got on tooth and nail. And, oh, man, Project 86 went to a major. They are going. I thought you guys were going to be huge. I mean, I thought you were. I mean, you guys were going out with giant bands. Like you said, not only were you competing against Stone Temple Pilots or whatever for the label 
to give you to give you attention. But I mean, you were going out with bands that we were like, holy cow! That I mean, this that's it. They they've moved up and they will be huge. And it's really crazy. And what's also interesting about that is eighty thousand on Tooth and Nail would have meant oh huge success. That would have been great. Even totally. even back back then, it would have been man, whoa! This Project eighty six biggest band on Tooth and Nail, and they would have paid the money to keep promoting that second song and all that stuff. You know that those things could have happened too. But I kind of agree. Same thing with us. Our third record. Um, we think like Tooth and Nail wanted us the the poppiest song from the record to be released first, and we were like, no, 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 don't do that because people are going to think that we don't scream anymore or whatever. It was more melodic a little bit in some ways. The whole mm-hmm. album has probably more screaming than the other two, but it just, it was, it was a, you know, it, the same thing. And then at the time you're like, ah, no, I don't understand. People don't, under, aren't, I, what we thought was going to happen, it didn't happen. And then you, at, you're right. As you move away from that, you start going, oh, well, maybe that was a good thing. Like, who would I be if our third record would have blown up or, where would I be now? Who would I be? Where would, would I have the, you know, would my wife and I have been married or have kids that we do and all these things that I really wouldn't trade for anything, any amount of money. Mm-hmm. You really do see that. You're right. In the moment though, it's had to be just devastating. And did, did y'all even like as a band, did you even think, okay, maybe we should quit? I can't even put it into words how hard it was. Yeah. Like the whole process of our third record was hard from start to finish. And it was almost the opposite of our second record. Like Drawing Black Lines, we did for a small budget. We were still kids. Yeah. We had not touched any of the ugly things of the music industry. It was very innocent. It was very fun. We did it quickly. And, and you can hear it. There's a lot of energy on that record. And a lot of people, you know, especially who are a little older and know the band, know us from that record. Yeah, I would yeah. say that's me. Yeah, yeah, totally. And so... This was the opposite of that. It's yeah. like, you know, imagine going from that into a situation where it's like there's all this stuff being dangled in front of you that's awesome, but there's all this pressure to write this hit single and all this stuff. And you got people coming in trying to change your sound. And really the big thing that was being dangled over our head is, is Atlantic. Was be, we were being told by Atlantic and by our people, um, if you don't deliver the songs that they want, they're not going to put out your record. Right. So through all this, though, I mean, it was hard, and I keep hearing you say that, but some of it must have been, there's had to be, uh, I mean, you are the brand and the man that started the band and run the business, mm-hmm. all this stuff, but there have been casualties along the way, just like any band. And so to survive yeah, yeah. this long, you've had a bunch of different members and stuff like that. Yeah, so yeah. that. That must have been a hard, one of the things that you maybe at least alluding to is not is not being able to keep it together with the same members. I, you know, we're talking about Pandora's box here when we're talking about it. <laughs> I'm definitely not avoiding it. It's just so multifaceted and multi-layered, and, and it was really painful and difficult. And you can even hear it in the lyrics on that record. Uh-huh. Um, we didn't really tour a whole lot during the 18 months that we were making that record. We didn't have really any income besides what the label Atlantic was giving us to pay our bills. Yeah. So they were supplementing our bills, but we were flat broke. Yeah, you didn't have a way to go out and really earn at the time. You were kind of hostage in Well, that. no, we were still full-time employees of our own band yeah. because we were writing music constantly and doing all the things that were involved in doing our band. We just weren't making any money. Yeah. You know? And so that was incredibly stressful. Um, the thought of losing the whole thing and all that we had worked for, because that's yeah. what was told to us. The other thing was, if you don't get bought out of your, this is what our attorney told us, if you don't get bought out of your deal with Tooth & Nail, you guys will never have a future in music because you're, you're never going to make any money doing it. You know, and you don't get into it to make money, but you get to a point where you're an adult 
And it's like, dude, I'm putting all this time and energy into this. You know, I have to be able to, you know, be an adult, pay my bills, maybe forward in life. I don't know. That's a novel concept for an artist. So the devastation, though, was a sort of slow burn. It was a slow burn throughout the whole process. Getting removed from Atlantic's roster was just sort of the final thing. Right. It was like we had already felt that coming. You know, during that time, the spiritual focus of myself and the band had totally gone awry. We were just so stressed and so panicked and so worried about what was coming next that it's like Jesus was no longer the focal point. Yeah. You know, and then you combine that, and this is why it's a Pandora's box. You combine that with the fact that everybody's trying to make us into a general market band, you know? Right. Our management is like, you guys need to get out of the Christian market, you know? And, and really, our team was kind of at war with Tooth and Nail to try to get us bought out. So there was a lot of stress with that. There was even one moment where our manager called me and said when we were in the studio, uh, you know, if this buyout doesn't happen or if Brandon, you know, if Tooth and Nail drags their feet or doesn't comply with what we're trying to do here, then you, we're going to send you to Europe and you're going to walk out in the middle of the studio to force a, a legal situation Gosh. in the middle. In the middle of recording the, you know, I've never shared that publicly, but it's been enough time. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. So, I mean, it was intense. It was really, really, really intense. And while I was in the studio, I got laryngitis. And uh, while I had laryngitis, I was, you know, we took a break um, from recording for a day or two. We went to Vegas. Our producer took us just to, you know, have some fun, Yeah. you know? So we went to Vegas, we hung out and, um, just through walking through those casinos and all that, and all the smoke and all that, I got laryngitis. But I've never had laryngitis in my whole life, so I didn't even know what was going on with my voice. So I come back on Monday, and I'm in the studio, and I'm singing. I'm trying to sing. You know, for me, singing at that time was just yelling, um, mostly. Uh, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't find my voice. And uh, one other thing I was going through at the time is the label had me seeing this vocal coach, this guru vocal coach in uh, LA, the same guy that worked with like Maynard from Tool mm-hmm. and Bjork and um, Chris Cornell, yeah. like this, the baller vocal coach. And I think he built, built out at that time at like 200 bucks an hour or something. Wow. Well, label was paying for it. Who cares? Right. <laughs> so I was seeing this vocal coach and he's trying to help me learn how to use my voice better at this time. Cause I was always losing my voice. And so he's got me trying all these new things and new techniques, and, and it's just really confusing. So I'm in the studio. I'm in the middle of being confused about trying to not lose my voice and all this stuff, and I get laryngitis. And so I just say, basically, screw it. I'm going to just power through. And so I do the session, and I feel something like tear inside my throat, like a muscle pull or something like that. And, and I had to stop singing and I had to I'd take a couple of days off. And I said, something's wrong. Something's wrong with my voice. Um, and so they sent me to the guru baller voice doctor that Ozzy Osbourne and all the singer people go to in Beverly Hills. And um, he goes in and he puts this probe in my throat and they show my vocal cords on the, on the television in front of me. And I don't know if you've ever seen human vocal cords, but um, they look like something else. That's funny. Vagina. (laughs) Yeah. So I had gotten a nodule on my vocal cords. And so that was an added stress. 
because I'm like, dude, I'm going to lose my voice forever. Yeah. Right, 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 right. You know, it's like, you're always worried about your voice. Whenever you're losing your voice and stuff, like it's stressful. So this was going on and I dealt with these vocal issues and they got worse and worse and worse, you know, which made more stress. And so the whole thing from top to bottom was painful and yeah, hard. Right. But again, it caused, it caused stress, but it, but, but that caused stress even internally with you guys in the band. And I'm, I'm just asking about having to move on from members and do all that kind of stuff. Okay. So when we left Atlantic, um, the original members, three of us decided, you know, yeah, we're going to keep rolling forward. One, one of the original members was uh, ready to start a family. So he was easing out of the band. And he phased out over the next couple records. Um, and then each original member phased out each record after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the formula you know, for us in moving forward has been uh, me partnering with guys you know, for records and seeing how that goes. Yeah, well, the- I just want to say I have a tremendous amount of respect for you to be able to maintain a thing for that long be the central person do the business and i've seen you at festivals all the time and there's always different people with you on stage and you it sounds great it sounds the same it's the same band so that's pretty amazing yeah the product hasn't gotten worse well, the t- thank you guys i mean the turnover rate hasn't been egregious especially over the last three or four years i've actually been able to stabilize and work with mm-hmm. the same people you know and and i will say that from a musical standpoint and just a relationship standpoint, I'm the most confident in what we have going on right now. Great. I mean, I know every band says, well, this is the best thing we've had yeah, because sure. it's the most current thing. Um, I, I'm just meaning that from an honest standpoint, like um, it took me a long time. You know, there was a lot of tension in the original lineup, a lot of tension. Um, and we managed to hold it together for quite a while, you know, but eventually, you know, that tension you know, added to the, the splitting and leaving yep. of members and all that stuff. Yeah. We, we went through the same thing. Like we had, uh, like our, our bass player, Joel, our, our first drummer, Seth. Awesome. We're still friends, but, uh, he wanted to get married and he was the, you know, we were able to get Dave and then our, our bass player, Joel was doing some things where a lot of people don't realize it's like tough to be in like, it's, you can be friends, but to be friends in a business doesn't work a lot of times. It, it takes a right kind of mentality. It's difficult. Yeah, for sure. Um, in my experience, friendships that develop out of a business relationship usually exist after yeah. the True. business relationship ends. It's when fr- friends are friends first and then go into business together. That's, that's when it's point. usually more difficult. That's yeah. a really good point. I agree with that for sure. Yeah. And so you're doing a bunch of other stuff now too. Where you're doing other things as a as a speaker and a writer and an entertainer beyond just music. You enjoying doing that stuff more with music, or are you still like doing music the best? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, I liken it to different wearing different hats. Yep. Uh, you know, different hats for different occasions type of thing, or apples and oranges. Uh, of course, I love playing shows. I, I love doing music. Project just put out a new Christmas song that we recorded, and it came out really cool. It's the the Grinch song. We call it Mr. Grinch. Cool. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, I got to get a couple shameless plugs in. Yeah, sure. go for it. Take go for it. as you want. No shame. Yeah. There is no shame on the Bad Christian Podcast. <laughs> Project86.com if you want to check out the new the new jams. Um, they'll be available on iTunes and wherever Holiday and All Music are sold. But we have, we have eight Christmas songs that are in a bundle that we've recorded oh, that are available on our website currently and will be available in the next couple of days. 
wherever digital music is sold. So I still, yeah, we still enjoy doing the music. Um, speaking is something I do regularly. I work at a church in Colorado. Um, I lead a Wednesday night service. It's kind of like an alternative uh-huh. service. Cool. Um, I, I try my best not to make it churchy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think anyone, you know, anyone in emerging generations, whether we're talking millennials or younger are just over the, uh, the church of our parents' generation. And so we try to approach it differently. Um, I'm able to do guest speaking on a lot of different occasions. Does that come out of writing books you think is the best way to get into doing speaking? No. I mean, I I got my degree in school in public address, which was like a corollary to communications. Cool. Um, certainly having a platform of any kind gives you a rapport with people who book speakers. So they, you know, people who book speakers want to bring in someone who's a, a dynamic speaker who's going to inspire or inform their audience and be um, someone who has a platform. You yep. know, if yep. you can be those two things, then you can you can be a speaker. That's something I do in addition to the other things. Um, I've written a few books along the way. I've written five. The most recent thing I did and finished about a year ago uh, is a men's ministry curriculum, basically. It's a book and it's a, work, a workbook or a study guide that goes with What's it. it. So called? it's called? Two different books. It's called the Ten Soldiers. Oh yeah, yeah, Ten Soldiers. Yeah, yeah. That's that's your whole website and everything that you that you run and do ongoing. Yeah, yeah. And that was inspired C.S. Lewis a little bit, and in, in some of the things that he says in Mere Christianity mm-hmm. about uh, God sort of regenerating dead men, uh, basically. Um, and so I, I lead a men's ministry here at church, and I do some men's events throughout the country. Um, geared around the tin soldiers. And it's really just about getting guys out of isolation. Yeah, Guys, we all have our kind of secret lives that we sort of battle uh, in various forms and in various vices. And it's about attempting, you know, by the power of God to to help guys get out of isolation first and foremost and give an opportunity um, for them to talk about what's going on in their life. So that's cool. Yeah, it's a little bit inspired by like, you know, step therapy and a little bit inspired by counseling. Um, and it, it's, it's definitely like a, a meant to spur on discussion. Yeah, that's awesome. Are you liking Colorado? You're, you're missing California? Are you getting used to it there? Oh, uh, this time of year, we miss California a little yeah. bit because <laughs> it's colder. Um, you know, when we lived in Southern California, it was 10 minutes from the beach. Right. And it was, uh, even in the winter, it could be 80 degrees for a week. You know, here it's not like Minnesota or anything. I think the high today is supposed right. to be in the 50s and for the rest of the week. But it does get really cold at night and in the morning. Uh, so you do deal with like winter, but it's not like three feet of snow on the ground sure. all the time or anything. Yeah, a buddy of mine started a church out that way, Front Range Church. I don't know if y'all have heard of them, but uh, oh, right. it's outside of Denver. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Sounds familiar. What's the name of your buddy? Uh, Ernest Smith. Sounds familiar. I've been um, meeting a lot of people since I've lived here as far as like other pastors. And, yeah. Um, You're a Broncos fan? I call them like a, my surrogate team. Yeah. Because <laughs> so, I'm a Steeler fan because yeah. I'm from Pennsylvania. Yeah. But 
I root for the Broncos as long as their interests don't go against Complete, yeah. my team. Well, it's been a long time, and then people always say, you got to get Schwab on the podcast, and of course we do. So I hope it ain't no offense to you that it's taking this long. It's people that we know and run into you and obviously know will be interesting people that we just kind of assume, well, we'll get to it eventually. Yeah. So it's been a couple of years. We've been meaning to do it, and we're glad we finally got you to come on the show. Oh, it's no worries. Man, I appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, for sure. And one last thing, I really do believe this. I've heard this now uh, two times, so I'm wondering if so. Like, we always think, like, Emory, uh, there's a lot of babies now named Emory. And we, mm-hmm. not necessarily that they knew our band, but with the, just that the name was circulating in culture, you know, just, you know, sure. and then people like the name. Yeah. Obviously, I don't think there's any, maybe anybody named Project 86, but I believe fully that your name might go down in history as the most password name ever like i've heard people using project 86 really? as their password because it has a, a <laughs> yeah. number in it never heard that yeah because like project and then you have the eight six you got to have a name and it's so easy to remember have a word you know, so i guarantee you it's one of the your band might be the most used for people's passwords to get into stuff <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a good observation Pretty legendary. that's awesome that's funny hey man that's good awesome. meeting you yeah, dude. Yeah. For sure. I mean, anytime, guys. Yeah, we'll do it again. Yeah, awesome. All right, Andrew. Well, thanks, man, for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. See you, dudes. All right, guys. That was Andrew Schwab. Man, we're killing it. Just annihilating in the interviews. Yeah, that was I'm good. glad we finally well, got really him good. on. Yeah, yeah man, that was good. He's just uh, living the dream in, in Colorado. Yeah. I'm always super happy when I – I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't want to think of it this way, but if other people can keep doing – music and creative stuff and that's that's good yeah i know I'll, you know that's good for me it means i'm not that crazy there's at least a few other people out there and most people i talk to and when i'm talking to other artists especially on break it down almost everybody i talk to there i always ask the question what else would you do and so many people give answer this no it's, i'm gonna figure it out uh, i like to make stuff and be creative i'm a lifer but sometimes yeah. that feels pathetic right but also it's really encouraging but <laughs> Can it be pathetic, band dude for life? I don't know. Band dude for life. I'm not saying that Schwab is. I'm saying that's. I hope I can do these types of things I enjoy doing for life, but I don't want to be a loser. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to be down. I'm glad other people do is what I'm saying. I don't know what else you'll do. I'm not going to do anything else. I mean, I'm going to do lots of other stuff, but I'm going to do whatever I want to is my point. I know what I'm going to do. I'm tell the damn truth for the rest of my damn life. Yeah. Matt, kick some music for me. I want to be creative with the damn truth. In a world where I am staring at Joey Svensson, and I can't tell if that's his face or his neck threw up. This is Toby Morrell, and this is the damn news. Something funny, Joey? Shut your damn mouth. I'm trying to tell the truth here. I'm trying to bring the people the truth. Oh, my back hurts. Oh, I'm sweating. Hey, you just stepped into a hornet's nest. <laughs> Since we were just talking to our friend, Andrew Schwab, in oh, Colorado, wow. I thought I would talk about a little marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> marijuana is your favorite That's recreational very, very drug? Very is yep. that right? Yep. It's your favorite re- recreation. What's your favorite recreational drug? Because you take that's a good question. Drink. I like that question. You don't do recreational. No, marijuana, yeah, does. caffeine, alcohol, marijuana. That's all. What's your favorite recreational drug? Like you take serious drugs that are prescribed, but yeah, what drug? Like caffeine, alcohol, marijuana. What is the drug that's just for fun that you take? Yeah. Yep. What is the answer? Caffeine. Yeah. Well, caffeine or alcohol? How about that? Which one? Hold on, Joey. What are you saying right now? I'm just saying yes. To caffeine? To all recreational drugs? Yes. Oh, my Lord. Matt, what's your favorite recreational drug? Well, I'm not doing alcohol right now, which is a real bummer. 
because that's definitely my favorite one, but I like caffeine. And I was considering, but again, that would probably sound like crazy languages. Uh, marijuana is legal here where I am. Right. And I'm not drinking alcohol, so maybe I should get a couple of edibles to have at 5 o'clock or something. Would that, is that that crazy? Well, it's legal, and if you are... Now, some people would say you can't... <laughs> Joey is doing edibles right now. Yeah. But some people would say you can't not be high on marijuana, right? So you'd have to... Like, you can't be out of your mind or something like that? I don't know. That's I think that's maybe subjective. Joey, what are you doing? What are you doing? Uh-oh, his back hitched. Man, back man his back hitched. He can't get out of it. I don't know what to do. He's really happy doing it. I don't know. Just let it's, him. Just let just him. Just get it all out, Joey. Just let just it go. Just get it all. And goodbye, Joey. What else? Okay. You back? Uh, Come on. <laughs> so that is literally what you step chose to do with the last minute of your life. I did step yes. on a position. Here's how this comes from the Huffington Post. Here's how many people fatally overdosed on marijuana last year. Am I going to be able to get through this? Am I going to be able to get through this? I, I, I Joey Spencer. Joey Spencer. Living. For a living. And, and I, I will never will tell never the truth, tell about, the truth that about that when I preach on, Sunday, preach mornings, on Sunday mornings, but I love, but I love from from people, people in my congregation, in my congregation and the people and that the I So marijuana deaths really are what they the state the, the same state the same the rate zero with marijuana now legal in some form throughout twenty three states the number of Americans who fatally overdosed on the drug last year was significant the rate of absolutely zero deaths from a marijuana overdose remained steady from the last year according to figures released this month by the Centers for Disease Control but while Americans aren't dying as a result of marijuana overdoses the same can't be said the range of other substances, both legal and illicit. Mm-hmm. Like, people are dying. Uh, a total of 17,465 people died from overdosing on illicit drugs like heroin and cocaine last year, while 25,760 people died from overdosing prescription. on prescription yeah. drugs. 25,000. Did you hear that number? That's almost the same number as people die in car wrecks. And marijuana, right. and marijuana is zero. So, which I, This podcast is unbelievably pro-marijuana sounding for people that almost never use marijuana whatsoever in any way. <laughs> but we always just kind of seem like, it's kind of right. like, I, I don't use marijuana at all, but it seems like a no-brainer, obviously okay, good thing almost. It's just insane. Uh, it goes on to say, I don't use it, but the more than 30,000... 700 Americans who died from alcohol-induced causes last year doesn't include alcohol-related deaths like drunk driving or accidents. If it did, the death toll would be more than two and a half times higher. Yeah. So, I mean, like, so so seriously. Prescription drugs are the worst. Right, right, right. I mean, uh, I mean, everything is going to kill you, and it's just somebody told you that marijuana was bad. And like I said before, I can't get it out of my mind. Like, I'll, I'll probably always, I was told so strongly that marijuana is the gateway drug and it's really bad and it's terrible and it's illegal and it's so awful and all this stuff. And it's just really not, I mean, that, not that really isn't true, yeah. the truth. Now, there's some truth that it can be bad and you could, for sure, this article goes on, I won't go into this a little bit long. I mean, obviously it goes on, don't smoke weed and drive. Don't, you know, don't smoke weed and start doing big machinery. And it seems that it can have effects on the developing brain, uh, people 16 and under, you know. 
You're right. Maybe a 20 and under. I don't know. But as an overdose, you cannot overdose on marijuana. Nobody's overdosed on it and died. That hasn't happened. So I just thought that was really interesting because literally it's just something that people told us. And it is really crazy that there's just a plant that you can't grow. You know what I mean? Like, like it's illegal (laughs) for a plant for you not to grow it. Isn't that wild? Yeah. Not where I I live. Where you live? Yeah, not where you live. I mean, that that's really neat. Like, there's uh, other states going. It'll it'll be. I mean, oh it's yeah, just yeah. The I mean, it's it's going to change for sure. Just because. Colorado's killing on their taxes and their economic growth and everything. Yeah. Oh instance. yeah, yeah. Will yeah, me sure. and Toby's but, state be the last one that holds out? No, no. It'll be one of the. It it won't be. It will absolutely not be. South Carolina will do. Is they uh they've already they are already moving on medical. Are they not? Yeah. Yeah, I think they are. That's a good sign. Medical will come really... I think medical will be everywhere pretty soon, and yeah. then at some point it'll just be... Because it's, it's silly to have people in jail. You know marijuana. why? It's because South Carolina is a liberty state. So this is this, even though it's inconsistent with popular morality, yeah. it is consistent with liberty and state right and individual Plus, a lot right. of people in the so, South smoke marijuana. They yeah. just don't talk about it. That's so, right. Um, it'll go there faster than some other places. Uh, immediately, a, uh, a Christian website from the, the Family Council... Uh, number of deaths caused by marijuana much more than zero. They hopped all over that. Uh, it's really funny. <laughs> and they said, unpacking the statistics on alcohol and marijuana. Gosh, that uh, me crazy. Let's see. There's a tweet they say here. No one has ever died from cannabis is what somebody tweeted. And they said, no, that it's more like 88,000 uh, people on average. And what they're talking about, though, is car-related incidents. Or, you know, not no, they're not, they're not talking about overdosing. They're actually talking about using the drug and then doing something bad on the drug. So, but as far as just taking the drugs, it's really, uh, and that's uh, a lot of that's blood alcohol they're talking about. And then they're talking about attributable, attributable deaths to marijuana. And it's the same thing. A ma- marijuana related deaths, they were talking about night and uh, the National Institute of Drug Abuse updated its marijuana research paper saying marijuana is the illicit drug most frequently found in the blood of drivers who have been involved in accidents, including fatal ones. Uh, this all, uh, Oklahoma authorities reported a man with marijuana both in his system and on his person drove into oncoming traffic. Like they're saying these things that like that same stuff would be wrong with any of the other drugs though. Like if you took an over-the-counter drug and got loopy on it and started driving or... Or so many, how about this? So many people use marijuana and certain amounts of people have fatal car accidents and that you're going to find it in their system and it ha- has nothing to do with the cause of the wreck. Yeah. If you tested everybody for Tylenol in their system, you would find that 10,000 of the 30,000 deaths had traces of Tylenol in their system. Would you not? Right. If you, if you, but it doesn't mean that's what caused the wreck. Just because that many people, that's what all that means is that's how many people are actually using marijuana. Tons. Right. So it doesn't lend anything to the fact that that caused the wreck. The funniest thing though, that's what I'm saying. Why, why does the Christian council and family count jump on like the scare tactic because you got to be scared man true i mean obviously cell phones that thousands of thousands of times worse of course it's really funny they said uh emergencies caused by marijuana march 2015 <laughs> four high school students were hospitalized after eating brownies laced with marijuana hash oil oil one student was actually found unresponsive in the school bathroom after eating a marijuana lace brownie. Like, all that is meant he was passed out and he woke up like, hey, what's up? <laughs> like, like, that's yeah. not like the, that terrible. Or he you felt like, it, and, yeah, uh, no, unresponsive. What does that mean? He was asleep? I mean, that, that can mean a million things. Uh, and it just keeps nothing. on going. It's just hilarious. The, the things that they say. It's so it, like weird that people would want to do this, like make stuff be scary or manipulative or lying. Why would you not? I mean, why, right. why would you want to do that? Because you're, I mean, even if the stance of the Christian person, this is what I don't get about it. Lying 
and deceit seem like immoral things to do, right? So I don't, you know, like I, I think eating a marijuana edible is less immoral than trying to deceive people that it's wrong. If you had to actually look at the morality of it. I just hate the idea of telling people something's wrong to keep them from doing something like, and then it's just not, it's, like, it's not really true. It, it, if somebody has to do that much, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense, but these are just hilarious. Like, <laughs> uh, January, 2015, news outlets in Oregon reported a woman overdosed after she ate three gummy candies laced with marijuana. What is that? That's not true. The overdosing just means she was freaking she out. Like, oh no, I'm weird. Or the same way as a high school teacher in Maryland was hospitalized after a student gave her a brownie containing marijuana. That doesn't mean anything was actually wrong. She was freaking out because the oh, yeah. guy shouldn't have given her a brownie with mar- oh, lace yeah, with marijuana. That's wrong. But I mean, she was just freaked out. Like she had, she got really high too. I probably had never been high and that didn't mean she was going to die. She might've thought she was, but I mean, all those things are, you shouldn't do that to your teacher. That's wrong. That kid should be in big trouble. But I'm just saying all these things are people did too much marijuana, but not enough to kill them or overdose. I don't know that it's possible to kill you. I mean, you know. Yeah. It's just crazy that it's just, I don't think it's that big of a deal. It's just not, if, if, if alcohol and cigarettes and prescription drugs are killing all these people, come on. Like, I mean, what in the heck? And you know what they're saying too? Like they said that it is crazy what is happening in uh, uh, Colorado because crime is down, mm-hmm, like yeah. is actually down. Revenues are way up. People are seriously, tourists are coming there a ton. I mean, it's probably happening in, in Seattle as well. I mean, it's just, it's, it's wild. Like, I mean, and it's way safer. Yeah. You don't yeah. go buy it from Mo on the corner that you don't know that is really shady. But you, you, know I mean? you w- so would you be then more okay with seeing spring break pictures from Ruby with her, with the bong than a, a case of beer? Oh, wow. That's really interesting. Both would probably bother me. When she sense. when she's in college, even twenty two years old, I would just be worried about her safety. Her Facebook has pictures when she's twenty two, and you look at her Facebook pictures where she's like hanging out with friends. She's just with all girls. <laughs> well, no, I'm just saying in general. There's of course there's guys around, just like any twenty two year old's Facebook. Well, then I would be upset. Yes, either with alcohol or I don't care if she's she can't to, when she's twenty two. She can't. Drink alcohol at a bar with, with mixed genders. <laughs> yeah, that won't bother. Me. Let's just say twenty four. She's at a bar. Yeah, if she's at a bar when she's twenty four with friends. No, that's not going to bother me whatsoever. Okay, but also wearing a bunch of tie dye and, and pictures with her and other people in bongs. Would that bother you more? Uh, if she becomes a, a weed head, pothead, whatever, uh, then yeah, that will just. I'll be sad. Like that doesn't sound cool. But maybe she'll be really cool. Here's the thing. A lot of people that smoke weed are very smart and fun. And productive, too. It's a, <laughs> very yeah. productive. And, and and you're right. You know what? I have actually had the same thought, too, of what if it's legal, just like alcohol is legal and all that stuff. If I was to do marijuana in my home, like the idea of, and people say the munchies and stuff, but they actually are, other science says that it doesn't, it causes the munchies, but it, a lot of pot smokers aren't overweight even like it ends up drug people i know are pretty skinny in general i put it that way so uh anyway but i was thinking the calorie wise i mean think about oh yeah five beers compared to smoking a joint that's right that's just a crazy i mean just calorie wise alone like think about how terrible it is to be massively like morbidly obese or just smoke weed oh yeah like which, which is the worst one so yeah, you know somebody I mean? that knocks back a six pack a night and's overweight, that's it'd be better sure. to substitute that out, I imagine. But at the same time, that's still bad if you're just trying to get high Matt, only or when, trying to Matt, do you go to the drunk. doctor? Do I go to the doctor? Yeah. Nah, not unless my wife makes me. Gotcha. I'm just curious because she says we pay for it, so I have to go, but I don't. 
Well, like when, when I check into my doctor, no matter what the visit is, like they have a questionnaire and one of them is alcohol and cigarettes. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious, like in Seattle, if, if one of the questions is how often do you smoke marijuana? That'd be I, really I bet it does. It might be on there. I don't know. I, I look, seriously don't go to the doctor, so I can't, couldn't really tell you. Because if you go to the doctor, here's the problem I have with it. It's exactly like you said. I'm going to go into, in 2015, I'm going to get a, with all the technology and all the computers and all the advances in medical science, I better go into the doctor to check stuff out. And when I do, because my wife says we have insurance and I need to go get a checkup, even though nothing's wrong with me and I'm not sick and I don't get sick, and I go into the doctor, I fill out. Four pages of questions that ask me what my medical conditions are, and then they read that, and then I go into the office for the part where they do the, you know, the examination with the technology, and they use some technologies from the, you know, 18th century, and listen, (laughs) and check my blood pressure, and listen to my heart and lungs, and then they look at me and read what I wrote down about my health, and they go, looks like you're healthy. Right. <laughs> that's that's what the that's what the, going to the doctor means for a checkup. They ask you if you're healthy and then use 17th century technology and verify that what you wrote down on the paper that you're healthy. Check yes or no essentially is true. That's a checkup. I'll give you that except for the blood work. After the blood work, that's when that's when you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but that's hilarious, man. All right, we got an interview with a club member, Joey. Do we have one or not? Yeah, we hey, we sure do. But I want to give a special thanks to Brett Lloyd. Uh, you gave us a big gift online and said some sweet things romantically to Toby. So thank you for that. Thank you, sir. We appreciate that one-time contribution that far exceeds most of our club member. In fact, it's the most money split three ways. It's the most money I've ever received. Is it private jet money? Uh, it, yeah, we're it, we're gonna buy buy a jet for yes. sure. But hey, man, Ooh, a, a BC jet, yeah, or just like nude women, cocaine. Oh, it's gonna be so awesome. <laughs> yep. So we have an interview coming up right now from Anthony Brandy. Tight. So, um, what have you been doing, man? Have you been staying out of trouble? Uh, yeah, yeah. You haven't been, been doing. doing. You haven't been doing anything like super bad or messed up. I mean, I went and saw Emery. <laughs> oh, dang, man. We should have just come right out and said so. Dude, do you know how filthy those guys are? They're awful. It's unbelievable. Now, I actually uh, I saw on Facebook that Toby last night in Nashville apparently um, busted out with the F word 15 times and then ended by saying, yeah, and some of you guys are going to be more concerned about some of you guys are going to remember the F words instead of me talking about Jesus. And that's part of the problem with Christianity or something like that. Somebody put it on Facebook. Can't believe everything on Facebook. But I thought to myself, I know exactly what happened in Toby's mind. Like he saw a YouTube video of a pastor that pissed him off or something clicked in his head. And he was just like, I'm going to get up stage uh, on stage and unleash on everybody. It's just, he just does it. It comes to him and he's got to unleash it. He's that's why he's so good, man. That's why he's good at writing lyrics. That's why he's so emo. So, is Emery uh, in your top ten favorite bands? Yeah, I would say so. Top five. Ooh, yeah. I got him thinking. Top three. Oh, I don't know. All right, so who it, who are the bands you're thinking of right now? Reliant K. Okay. And by the way, we're trying to get everybody's asking why. When are you going to get him on? And we're trying, so it's on him now. It is because sometimes, like, 
Yeah, sometimes people can just be a little bitch, and we keep reaching out, reaching out, reaching out. No offense, I don't know the guy. I know Matt and Toby do, and they speak highly of him. But at some point, man, we just have to give up. Let's give up. So I'm not crashing oh, no. on your favorite band. I'm just, and I'm sure he's not a little bitch. So go ahead, Reliant K. That's all I can think of right now. I'm really, really, really tired. <laughs> You're like, why is this scheduled at 1040? <laughs> so, man, we really do appreciate you. Uh, I know you hear it all the time, but uh, we really do mean it. So why, why, do, you, why do you invest in Bad Christian? Um, well, and, and you seem like a pretty young guy, too. So you, you've got to be doing good for yourself to be able to give money to an organization like us. Well, there's a catch. Let's hear it. I am also in this with my brother. Nice. Who is doing way better than I am. Gotcha. No, that's awesome. So he lets you represent. Yeah, I awesome. represent the Brandies. Awesome. How how many years apart are you guys? Oh, gosh. Um, four or five. Yeah. He's older. I'm the baby. Gotcha. <coughs> gotcha. So, um, yeah, man, we really do appreciate it. What's one thing you hate about our podcast? Is there anything we could do or say that would just like make you want to die and never listen to us again? Maybe if you all came out and were serious about this, yeah, and we're like, we no longer let our wives do yoga, then I would be like, <laughs> good golly, no. <laughs> because it's like, because it's got ritual, spooky voodoo stuff. You'd be like, what yeah. in the world? That's 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 interesting, man. I and mean, you're being serious. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing that came to your mind. That is actually super interesting, man. I like it. I like it. What's uh? So I don't even have to guess this, but out of who's on the top, uh, who who's number one on your list of people you want us to interview? Matt Tyson. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And we really thank you, man, for all you're doing for sure. Obama. All right. Good good interview, Joey. Once again, my friend. What'd you like about it? Well, here's the thing. I loved you didn't do this. Uh, uh. <laughs> yeah. You didn't do everything you can't distract. Like you didn't destroy it. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.